Welcome to the River Community Church Podcast. We are a church committed to loving people, igniting faith in Jesus, and transforming lives. We hope you are blessed by the words that are spoken, and feel free to contact us if you have any questions. So, um, this morning, uh, we're continuing a series that I started last week at the River called Life Reimagined. And um, I'm going to include kind of a subtitle in that this week, um, Life Reimagined, God Never Wastes a Crisis, okay? Uh, so that's, that's uh, going to kind of shape what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Um, it's a series in which we're looking at how, how God takes a crisis in our lives, like the crisis that we're in right now, and he uses it to, to break our idols, uh, to transform our hearts, and, and essentially to save us and to save um, other folks in this world as well. Um, now, last week, I looked at an Old Testament figure named Naaman, and, and we saw how God used the crisis of leprosy in his life uh, to bring him to an understanding of grace, right? What grace was. And, and the fact that what needed to be healed in his life wasn't just leprosy, but he needed the leprosy of his own heart to be healed, he didn't just need to be physically healed. He needed to be spiritually healed. And by the end of the story, we saw how, how God did an amazing work. Um, now, this week, we're going to look at another Old Testament figure um, whose name is Joseph. And I'm going to read about him now from, from Genesis chapter 37. Now, like last week, this is a longer story, uh, so bear with me. But it's a compelling story, and it begins... Um, um, a whole series of stories on Joseph, which is going to form the substance of the Bible study that I'm hoping that all of you will do this week. So um, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 37, and let's read this together. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he'd made an ornate robe for him, what sometimes people call the robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. 
When Joseph arrived, arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, the oldest brother, heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came, the brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, This is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue, continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So far, the reading of God's word. So um, by the time we get to the end of this story, as you just heard, Joseph is in crisis. He's in crisis. He is thrown down a well and sold into slavery by his brothers. And he's, he's off to Egypt where he will become the house slave of the captain of the guard there, a guy by the name of Potiphar. Some of you may feel like you're a house slave right now. Uh, maybe you can identify with Joseph, kind of condemned condemn to those never-ending days of being at home and being at home and being at home. Um, but I'm thinking it was probably worse for Joseph. Just saying. Just saying. Now, you need to understand how Joseph got into this place of crisis. It, it, it would be nice if the, if the story started this way. If it said there was this man named Joseph who was this amazing individual, he was humble, he was wise, he was astute, um, but who, as a result of unfortunate circumstances, ended up being betrayed 
by his brothers and who overcame eventually all the odds stacked against him and saved his people. Joseph, the hero legend, right? Wouldn't that be a wonderful, inspiring story? But here's the thing you have to understand. The Bible is not a story of all these incredible people who did incredible things. It's not designed to inspire us to become like them. It's actually a story about real people. And where the Bible wants to take us, it wants to take us into this place that despite the fact that, that we're talking about real people with real problems and, and real situations, God can still work. God is still busy in terms of extending his grace and his love to unworthy people. See, um, this story starts with a dysfunctional family. Now, some of you out there this morning can say, amen, I get it. I get dysfunctional family, okay? I'm part of a dysfunctional family. The truth is, in some ways, we're all part of a dysfunctional family. Indeed, you know, this is this is this crisis that Joseph ends up in at the end of the story um, is not of God's making. It, it's of his own making. It's of their own, this family's making. What happened to Joseph is the fruit of human sin. His father's sin, his sin, and his brother's sin. I mean, just, just look at the text. Um, what does it say? Verse 3. Now, Israel, that's another name for Jacob, okay, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. So maybe you're asking the reason for this. Well, let me, let me share it with you in a nutshell. I mean, it's a longer story, which you can read um, earlier in the book of Genesis, but I'll just give it to you in, in uh, a brief form. J Jacob grew up in a home in which his father really didn't love him, right? His father preferred his older brother Esau, who was this hairy-chested guy, the captain of the hockey team, uh, you know, muscles in all the right places. Uh, his father loved him. He was crazy about him. But Jacob was more this petite guy. He was this, he was this uh, little bit of a, um, you know, a uh, little bit of a dreamer, a little bit of an artsy guy. And um, he was a mama's boy, if, if the truth be told. And so he never could get this affirmation from his father. And, and, and so what happens? Well, as we often do in, in families, he ended up transferring that neediness to his first love, um, which was a gal by the name of Rachel, right? Now, because of the circumstances, he ended up having to marry her older sister. Um, but Rachel was really the love of his heart. And he, he idolized Rachel, but Rachel bore him two sons. The first was Joseph, who we're talking about in the story. The second was Benjamin, but she died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. And so Jacob's idolization, this neediness that was in his heart, got transferred to, to Joseph. And so in his family, he, he commits what is a, a really a, a terrible thing that any father can do. He ends up loving Joseph. He ends up adoring Joseph. He ends up spoiling Joseph over against all of the rest of 
his sons. Have any of you been in a family like that? Uh, maybe some of you have, right? And what happens? Well, you get angry, right? Uh, you, you, you get upset. I, and, and if the truth be told, you end up hating that sibling, right? The one that gets the favor, the ones that gets the, you know, the, the extra blessing of your dad, the blessing that you want but can't get. Joseph's brothers are no different than you and I, right? And, and, and they're, they're not happy with him at all. And, and to add insult to injury, Joseph is kind of an idiot, if the truth be told. I mean, he's this typical spoiled kid. I mean, he, he has these dreams, right? And, and he's all too willing to share these dreams with his brothers, right? Hey, bros, I had this dream where you were all bowing down to me, right? If we modernize that a bit, it would be like saying, hey, bros, I had this amazing dream. I just won the Super Bowl, and all you guys were serving me sushi, right? How would you feel if one of your siblings shared that kind of dream with you? You know, I have to admit, I was a bit of a younger brother jerk, Um. I knew how to get under my brother's skin, and I knew how to get my mom's favor. And it created, if the truth be told, some havoc in my family. And, and, and here's the thing. Joseph doesn't just tell them once. He, he tells them twice, which at best makes him a kind of a sociopath, right? I mean, a sociopath that completely doesn't understand the emotions of other people. And, ha and the impact that his words is, ha uh, is having on other people. Or maybe, maybe even worse, Joseph is on his way to becoming an evil person. What I want you to understand about all this is that human sin is at the root of everything that happens in this story. Jacob's, Jacob's sin in favoritizing his son. Joseph's sin in, in being a kind of a spoiled brat idiot. And the brother's sin, right? In responding to that by hating their brother and doing him harm. It's all, it's all sin, right? Tell me, what, why do we find ourselves in the crisis that we're in today? But why do we find ourselves in any crisis for that matter? Well, if the truth be told, it's, it's human sin. Now, on the surface of it, um, it might seem like this thing that we're in, COVID-19, it's just an act of nature. I mean, I mean we all know there's, there's, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes, there's earthquakes, right? However, I'm willing to bet at, at the root of this crisis, and, and this will come out one day, this thing that we're in, it, it has a human sin element to it. Whether it's the Chinese government that suppressed information about the virus, whether it's the lack of preparedness on the part of, of, of in, you know, political officials in our government and other governments around the world, um, whether it's our own hubris, who knows? But, but the, the precursor to any crisis, any human crisis, is, is human sin. Listen, God, God didn't invent COVID-19. 
Sometimes people think of it that way, right? God is inflicting COVID-19 on the world as a way of judging the world, as a way of exerting his power over the world. I'll show you, you sinful, rebellious people. No, COVID-19 is part of the brokenness of creation. It's part of the brokenness that you and I have inflicted on this world through our rebellion against God. It's part of my brokenness and your brokenness. And I think we'll see this one day and we'll all be stunned. But, but, that's, but that's not the end of the story. Be- because as the byline to this series states, God never wastes a crisis. Right? God never wastes a crisis. God never wastes an opportunity to teach us that what we really need in life is not our, our best laid plans is not the designer life that we, we all think we want to have, right? Which can change in a heartbeat. But what we really need is him. What we really need is him. Now, I, I want you to notice that the hiddenness of God in this passage, all right? Because we, we think as we read this story that, that this is just a story about human will. But really, really, it's a story about God's providence. The, the the reality that what we think are just chance encounters, things that just happen day to day, are actually God's way of shaping the big story that we're all a part of and shaping it towards his ends, right? I mean, think about what happens in this story, um, the, the chance, in quotation marks, decisions that people make, right? We see that that Jacob, just by chance, decides to send Joseph down to check on his brothers, right? And just by chance, when he's there, he doesn't find them, but there's this guy who, by chance, is in the field and tells Joseph that his brothers are actually in Dothan, right? And so then, by chance... Joseph decides to go down there, and by chance, this whole story unfolds in which he gets thrown into a well, in which he gets sold into slavery, and, 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 and we don't have to go through the story again, but you might think that it's all by chance. But actually, here's the truth. If none of these things happen, if none of these things happen in the way that they happened, however many years later, everybody dies. The, the famine that ravishes the land, and you're going to read about this in the stories to come in the next chapters this week as the Bible study unfolds, that, that famine would have taken the lives of the entire household of Jacob. And the whole salvation story that God was telling through this family and will eventually unfold into the people of Israel and unfold into King David and unfold into the arrival of Jesus on planet Earth. None of that would have taken place. So God's hand is in this. I I want you to see that, the the hiddenness of God in this. See, See, God is at work in this crisis that we're in in ways that we can't even fathom. 
He, he's at work to complete the story, his salvation story that he's been telling since the beginning of time, right? This story of love and grace and redemption. See, God, God stands above time. He stands above the here and now, and that makes all the difference. But, but now here's the thing I, I, I really want you to see this week. God is using this calamity to shape Joseph's character. He, he, he really is. To teach him some things about himself. Now, does Joseph want to learn those lessons? Absolutely not, right? If you asked Joseph about this at the time, he would say, I don't have a problem. I, I, I'm not a sociopath. I, I'm a perfectly well-adjusted human being, right? I don't need to be thrown down a well. I don't need to be sold into slavery. I don't need to be used and abused by Potiphar's wife in order to have my character refined, right? The truth is, he did. I would surmise that Joseph couldn't have learned these lessons in any other way. And God was at work. He really was. I mean, sometimes we see all the things, the negative things that happen to us in our lives. And, and our question is, why God? Right? Why are you doing this to me? Why do you have it out for me? But maybe through his providence, in the big story that God is telling in human history, God is actually refining your character. What if we quit asking the question, why God? And what if we started asking the question, God, what do you want to teach me in this moment? What are the things that I need to learn as a result of this crisis that we're in? What can you teach me about yourself, about your character, about myself, about my character, the ways in which I have to change, the things that I have to let go of, the things that I have to embrace? Maybe, maybe there's no other way for God to teach us the lessons that we need to learn than through a crisis. Now, again, God, God doesn't invent crises. God takes no pleasure in COVID-19. I said that last week. I'll say it again. But God can use these crises, which we inflict on ourselves as a result of human sin, to change our hearts and to refine our character in a way that we become the kind of people that God wants us to be. Listen to these words from the Apostle Peter. This is what he writes in the New Testament. In all this, you greatly rejoice, right? And what Peter's talking about is the fact that the people he's writing this book to are suffering and going through difficult times. And he's saying, now you should rejoice in and through all this suffering. What a mind-blowing thought for us in the Western world, right? Though now, for a little while, he writes, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, think about that, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying there are some things in this life that God can only teach you through crisis that are worth gold, that are worth more than gold, right? Because 
they make you into the type of person that you need to become. Joseph starts out a sociopath. But as you're going to see, if you read the Bible studies this week, he becomes a whole different kind of person. What does God want to teach you? How is God refining your character through this crisis that we're in? God never wastes a crisis. Believe it or not, he's, he's working on your character right now. He's calling you to himself. He's, he's breaking down your idols. He's transforming your heart. He's calling you to himself. If you'll let him. If you'll let him. We can always resist, right? We can also just go into angry mode or we can just go into sad mode. But what's God teaching you right now? Have you asked that question? You should. What is God teaching you about what's the most important thing in life? What's he teaching you about trust? What's he teaching you about worship, right? What's he teaching you about money and wealth and their place in our lives? What is he teaching you about mercy? As you have unique opportunities in this time to reach out and care for other people. What's he teaching you about your role in your family? And the place that they ought to have. I think after this crisis, we'll all look at our families differently, right? And realize what a gift they actually are. You know, one of the, the benefits of this story is that um, we get to hear the rest of the story, right? Um, there is this old radio show called The Rest of the Story. Um, it was a guy by the name of Paul Harvey. And he did this, this radio bit. This dates me. I know it does. But um, he, he did it, um, again, as part of a radio show that was often broadcast in the afternoons as you were kind of driving home from work or something like that. And, and he would go through a story that, in which there were often forgotten facts or you didn't know something about this story. You kind of were familiar with the story, but maybe you didn't know everything about the story. And he would fill in the missing pieces, so to speak, and help you understand, oh, that's why that happened, or that's how that person became that person, or that's how that, you know, how that situation unfolded really, right? And he always ended the radio piece with these words, right? And now you know the rest of the story. Well, one of the benefits that we have of, of reading these stories of Joseph is that we actually do know the rest of the story. All the trials and tribulations that, that Joseph goes through, how God teaches him humility, how God teaches him to trust him. Well, what happens to the brothers at the end of the story, how Joseph figures out how to forgive the unforgivable. It's, it's a stunning turnaround. It's, it's an amazing story because at the end of the story, and again, you're going to see this if you do the Bible studies this week, Joseph, who has the power to, to take revenge on these brothers who have thrown him into a cistern and, 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 and sold him into slavery. He says at the end of this story, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph realizes by the end of the story that all the things that he has suffered, and he suffered a lot, has actually brought about something good. 
Now, instead of me waxing eloquently more about this, um, do the readings this week, will you? Gather with your family around the table or individually. I've written, again, I've written family questions, written adult questions so that you can kind of do it at whatever level you're at. And um, I want to give you one big assignment this week. Um, and that is I want you to watch the movie Minority Report. And I'm going to send you a sermon this week, a sermon that I did on that movie way back when. It's a movie actually about Providence, about what we're talking about this morning. I want you to watch it because you've got lots of time to watch movies these days, all right? And then read the sermon together. Now, let me just say PG-13, okay? Parents, PG-13. Recognize this isn't necessarily a movie that you just gather the kids around uh, the, the screen um, and get some popcorn because Pastor Bruce said it was a good movie, PG-13. So think about the guidance. But look at that movie and then read the message and see if it doesn't bless you. And, and, and do the devotions. And we're going to make this kind of interactive. And if you want to send me questions or if you want to send me your responses this week, uh, please do. And uh, maybe we'll even open up some kind of virtual Bible study room uh, in coming weeks so that you can, we can interact together about the things that God is teaching us. Let me end with prayer and, um, and ask God to, to bless how he's going to work in our hearts this week, in my life, in your life, and how he's going to teach us that even though we struggle with things sometimes, even though you know, we go through difficult things, God, God never he never wastes a crisis. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and uh, would you teach us uh, this week um, how to trust you more and how to realize that even though we don't see it because we're stuck in time, we're stuck in the here and now, you're actually busy telling an amazing salvation story in and through my life and the life of everybody who's listening to this today. And help us to realize that, that even though sometimes we, we deal with difficult things, we go through difficult times, Lord, that you are in fact teaching us about yourself. And that most importantly, Lord, you hold all things in your hands. You tell us so clearly in scripture that the end of the story is you. The end of the story, like Joseph's story, is grace and forgiveness, and life. Teach us that this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.